Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Carson Valley Bible Church. My name is Justin. I'm one of the leaders here. And this morning I have the great pleasure and joy to preach to us uh, yet again. This morning we're going to be continuing in on our series, uh, basically showcasing what a gospel-centered church is, or what we call maybe a gospel-driven church. If I can get my technology to work here. There we go. So this morning, again, we're continuing on the series. And what we're doing is basically walking through Acts, or as we call them, maybe the Acts of the Apostles. Where we see that after that day of Pentecost, where the Spirit rushes down, and we see this beginning of this ministry for the Apostles, and we see the spreading of this gospel message go throughout all the world, uh, we're particularly focusing in today uh, on this traveling of Paul and his missionary team, which includes Silas and Luke himself, who is the author of this book. Now, this last couple weeks, uh, we've been in and out of this series. I know three weeks ago, Luke began the series for us. And in the beginning of the series, he showcased and highlighted for us that there's just one message that we preach, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. The man who was born from a Virgin Mary, the man who lived a sinless life, he suffered a substitutionary a sacrificial death for those who would believe in him. He resurrected three days after that death so that that propitiation for the sins would be shown as made right. That chasm between sinful man and a holy God was brought together through that sacrifice of Christ and himself. And not only did he resurrect, but he ascended thereafter. To a heaven where he reigns and rules over all creation. From there, Luke took us last, or the second week, sorry, two weeks ago. He highlighted for us that we are brought to one central family, or one committed family. So not only are we saved individually and called individually by God, we're called to be a part of a family and if we look at the context of which Acts and really the, the entirety of the New Testament is focused on, we see that God's will is always seen through the context of the church and through the congregation. If we take a quick assessment of just highlighting that psalm we went through this morning, like Harry said, David's always seems to be in some trouble. David's always, for some reason, lamenting. And I think a lot of it, to me, as I assess his psalms in that, that Old Testament, is, is he's longing to be a part of a congregation. He's longing to be a part of a family that chases after God. I mean, those words at the end of that psalm where he's just in distress because his fellow man wants nothing to do with God, there again is this longing uh, to be a part of a family that worships God. And we see that brought, and it's uh, not a complete fullness, but brought with Christ when Christ showed up in his birth and through his ministry, we saw that this kingdom of God was a family of God. When Paul speaks in Ephesians, talking about this family being adopted, each and every single one of us, to be a part of that family of God. And last week, 
last week, I think providentially through the preaching of Tim Umbrock, one of our missionaries that we support, a part of missionary, uh, Mission Aviation Foundation, uh, somebody who is a part of just sharing the gospel to all ends of the earth, I think we saw providentially that really put in action. That what could drive somebody to start a foundation like that, to go to the all ends of the earth, uh, to share a gospel, to, just, to share uh, just news of a person who lived 2,000 years ago. We also saw through even the potluck that night, as we celebrated and heard from Tim of all the things that are going on in his uh, mission and in that, that life of being a missionary, uh, we see that we're all part of the same family. That it doesn't matter what part of the world we come from, what cultural context we come from, what race we are, what skin color we are, how much sin we have had in our lives, the gospel is for all people. And that is the message we have for us this morning. The gospel is for all people. And there's not a single person who is outside of that need for the gospel message. So just as I mentioned earlier, we'll be continuing through the book of Acts. And specifically, we'll be focusing in on chapter 16. And if you would, turn there. And these verses will be 16 through 34. And before we uh, begin this message... I'd like to just pray. So as I pray for all of our ears to hear from God this morning, to help us understand what He has for us, to help uh, just the text be illuminated to our hearts so we can not only uh, just learn from Him, but just be driven to adore Him even more. And as I pray, would you please just pray for me to deliver truth and to be faithful to God's Word. Father God, we just thank You for you. We thank you for being a God who created everything uh, and you care about it. Your creation isn't like a top that you just spin and let go on its own until something comes in contact with it, but you are involved in every single bit of our lives. And we know throughout the entirety of the Bible, we have a book of history to see that you've been involved in the lives of your people from the very foundation of this very universe, and that you care for each and every single one of us who would just repent of our sin and trust in you. So God, may you just uh, speak to each and every single one of this morning to show us how this gospel is for all people. How again, nobody is outside of that need for this gospel and a conversion to Christ. And may you just glorify yourself in these words. And may we just conclude this uh, time together today just uh, loving you more and knowing you far better than when we first walked in. And may you just, uh, just pierce our hearts with this word so that there is nothing we can do but just respond by sharing the same good news that changed each and every single one of our hearts who have placed our faith in this Christ. So God, let us just please hear from you. And let us rely on the power that you have in the gospel. Not on our own uh, words and understanding. But may we just solely rely and rest on you. So God, we just thank you for this time together. Would you bless it in Christ's name. Amen. So Acts chapter 16, verse 11. 
So, setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed that there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together and who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized, and her household as well, and she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. And Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. And when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them to the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful to us for Romans to accept or to practice. And the crowd joined in in attacking them. And the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had afflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened. And everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul, and they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he believed in God. Church, that is the infallible and inerrant word of God. Thanks be God, indeed. I have a coworker whom I've worked with for the past 20 years at a job which I've only worked there for the entirety of my career. Uh, but this man is somebody who I've never imagined would be uh, a follower of Christ. Um, somebody who I've prayed for and I've talked to, but I honestly never saw this man converting. You know, and wrongly so. My heart, sometimes I thought maybe this man's too far from Christ to save, but boy are we wrong when we assume that somebody or anybody is too far from the grace of God. 
This man, after learning about his conversion not too long ago, and some conversations that we had about Christ and the gospel and the kingdom of God and what church life is like, this man told me that he uh, was going to go on a mission. So a few weeks ago, he went on this mission. He went to Costa Rica with his church. So again, just blown away by the power of God that not only would he save somebody who I thought was possibly too far from the grace of God, responded in such a way that the only thing he can do was go and serve others. He was moved by this gospel message and wanted to hear or wanted others to hear what had saved him. He was describing all the different things they were doing in Costa Rica. They were caring for a church down there. They were rebuilding some things that had failed. And he mentioned that they live in a a type of poverty that we just don't see here in some of the worst neighborhoods in the United States. Uh, They just live in a a poverty that's just even poorer than what we can experience in America. And he just shared with me just how grateful this people was. And he also shared just all the things that he did in this community and just not only helping this church, but just helping people who weren't even a part of this church, helping people who were outside. I asked him, I said, that sounds like a, a pretty interesting trip. I'm glad you had a you know, real good time you know, serving, and I'm glad you were moved by the gospel so much that you decided to go and serve others. I asked him, in this experience, what was your favorite part? And he told me he saw a lot of cool things. He even had some time for the vacation type thing, the touristing you know, type of stuff, the parasailing, the hang gliding, the zip lining. He did see some parts of the country he said were just absolutely breathtaking. But he told me the very best part of his entire experience down there was the time that they worshipped on that Sunday before he left. And he was talking about a people who spoke Spanish. Not a bit of English did they speak, and him and his party, there was only a couple of them who knew Spanish. But he was telling me about this experience with singing literally the same song. They were both singing hymns. Missionaries were singing in English, and the locals were singing in their native tongue. And he said just the, the unity that he felt uh, just among the church, knowing that these people are not like us, we are not like them, from two parts of the globe that are thousands of miles apart. We look different, we talk different, we act different, and yet there's something that brought this unity, and this unity was because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, what was so eye-opening to him was to just see this people of another tongue come apart, or come, uh, sorry, together, and love and adore this same Christ that he loved and adored. And he just shared just how beautiful it was an experience to know that, again, even though just from completely different parts of the world, to be chasing after the same Christ of the Bible, to be singing the same song of praise, even though we may not understand each other, was just an absolutely amazing experience. I thought that was fitting to describe that conversation with you because that's what this morning is about. How the gospel is not a message that is just for a a certain type of people. It is not confined to a certain race, a certain geographical location or a cultural context. It's not reserved for somebody who just has a little bit of sin versus a lot of sin. No, the gospel is for every single human being who has ever lived outside of Christ. Today, I hope through this 
survey of Acts chapter 16, verses 11 through 34, we see the three different people that we'll focus on. And I hope that this survey helps us realize that this gospel message, again, is not just for certain types of people, but it's for everyone. And maybe my hope is to just draw us to conclude this message, to want to share the gospel, realizing that we don't change the message for the person. It's just the same message over and over and over. And we want to see this morning how powerful this message is. But before we get into the verse, I actually want to backtrack just a, a little bit, and I want to go to 1 Corinthians. So if you could, please flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 18 in chapter 1, and we're going to move over to uh, all the way to chapter 2, uh, verse 5. And the whole reason for doing this is we know that this is Paul preaching. This is Paul during one of his missionary trips. He's moving up the east or northeast part of the Mediterranean Sea. And this time he's coming around to around modern day Greece sharing the gospel. And during this travel, as Luke mentioned in uh, the previous sermon, sharing only one message, one central message. But right now, what I want to really highlight and key in on is the fact that the power is not in the messenger, but is in the message itself. So I want us to get a little bit of framework to, uh, I guess, what we would call Paul's philosophy of ministry, how he preaches, what's on his heart when he's bringing this good news to a broken and sinful world, and is he relying on his own gifts, or is he relying on the power of God? And will show us in just a few minutes that it is the power of God in which he relies on. And the same gospel that he preaches, he says that he preaches Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But if you go to that first verse right there that I highlighted in verse 18... We see, for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. And Paul continues on through 1 Corinthians, really highlighting the fact that the power, again, does not rely upon him or his ability to reason, but it relies on the power of the one who gives the message in the first place, Christ himself. If you move down to verse 27, it says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. If there's anybody foolish in the world, if you ask Paul, he would probably say himself before anyone. Somebody who persecuted Christians. Somebody who hated Christ. But again, somebody who, though weak, God, through him, preached to many Gentile nations. Not only that, but do we see most of the books written in the New Testament from Paul. So indeed, as Paul would probably say in his own words, a foolish man, yet Christ, a powerful Christ, spoke through him, sharing a message that are not devised by human minds, but from God himself. And he continues on, he says in verse 30, And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And the whole reason for the basis of the power being in the message and not the messenger is so nobody can come to God and boast in front of them. 
but to cause us to boast only in the place that deserves, and that is boasting in the Lord himself. And let me just read for you the first five verses of uh, chapter 2, because I think this really highlights what I'm getting at. He says, And I, when I come to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So as we move there, if you would please flip back to the book of Acts, and we'll stay there for the rest of the message. As you see, this is exactly what's on Paul's heart as he preaches to the nations. He's not trying to convert people by the power of his words or some wisdom that he might have. He's not trying to convince people with empirical uh, evidence of God other than just creation itself. The only thing that he relies on is preaching Christ crucified. And he knows that may be a stumbling block to many. It might harden some hearts, but he knows that, and we see in uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he sees that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. This is the only way to be saved, is through this message and through a belief in it and a trust in Christ. I think if we really take an assessment of all of Paul's writings, we'd see that he says over and over and over, beating his drum, that the power lies in the gospel message and not in the devices and the wisdom of men. So this morning, let's keep going, and let's move to uh, this text and really highlight these three instances uh, where we see this gospel message going forth, and we see these people, their experiences, and we see their responses. This won't be like a typical message where we're going particularly verse by verse, line by line, even though I am going over the entirety of the message. We're going to browse through it pretty quickly, um, trying to draw from the text uh, the central message of the gospel being for all people. We'll be looking at Lydia, a demon-possessed girl, and we see a jailer. Three different people, three different cultural contexts, Three different walks of life. Three completely different people. And we see what happens when the gospel meets their ears. So we see Paul and his missionary team heading over to Philippi. And this is before the book of Philippians, before that church was established there. This is the first time the gospel has reached that area of the globe. And what he finds when he goes there is he finds some women who are praying outside of town. See, in this context, being in a Roman colony, Jews were allowed to practice, but there had to be a minimum of ten men in order for a synagogue to be established. So as we see with there just being women, there perhaps weren't very many Jewish men in this area at that time. But there were these women who, who knows how this message of the God of the Israelites met their ears, but they knew that this is the God who created all. We see that she was a worshiper of this God. And mind you, that word says worship, but it's more of a 
uh, in the Greek, she's just doing the outward religious things, uh, the rites, um, the ceremonial type of things, but she was not converted. And we know this because we see that in the next verses later on, that through the gospel message, she hears it and believes. Her heart is open to receive it. And the type of person I want to see us to see this morning in Lydia is that type of person that maybe was one of us. Maybe we know somebody who is like this in our families, in the workplaces, in the community. Somebody who is outwardly religious, going to services on Sundays, praying, going to church potlucks, doing all of the things that church people do, yet their heart is far from Christ. They have not seen Christ as their Lord and Savior. They have not come to terms with their sin and their need for somebody to pay a substitutionary death for it. Lydia was just that woman. And we see that nobody believes this message unless God opens the heart and grants it. See, verse 14, she hears this message. Then we see at the end of that verse, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. You see, nobody is saved outside of the sovereign work of God himself through the hearing of the gospel message. We look back to Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel is prophesying about this Messiah to come who would restore the hearts inside individuals who trusted in God. That heart of stone, as he puts it, would be taken out and replaced with a heart of flesh. Jesus even talks to, about this in the new birth. In John chapter 3, when Nicodemus comes by night and he asks him, Basically, how can we know that this is all true? How can we know that you're actually from God? We know that you have gifts, but how can we know this actually makes sense? And Jesus responds to him and says, you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. So at the end of this verse, in verse 14, we see the new birth of Lydia. You see, as Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians, she's a new creation in Christ. She met the gospel, and the simplicity of his message changed her heart. I think sometimes as we move along, and I know this personally, as you start learning and understanding more doctrine, you start understanding how we're justified before a holy God, we understand things, you know, like we'll call it just church stuff, ecclesiology, we'll call it um, just doctrine that we just learn and know about. As we deepen our faith and there's some things that we learn and we're just being so illuminated to the text, to the Word of God, that we almost feel converted again because of all this stuff that we're just learning and, and how much we're adoring God's Word and what He's showing us through it. I mean, sometimes, like I said, in my experience, you look back and you go, did I really know enough to be saved? I didn't quite understand what justification looked like. I didn't quite understand what it meant to have a substitutionary death. All I knew at that time when I was converted was just that God died for me. And His Son, Jesus Christ, He did what I couldn't do. And all I have to do is place my faith and trust in Him and I'd be saved. And Church, I'll be honest, sometimes we need to just remember the simplicity of the Gospel. I think when it comes to our evangelism, when it comes to sharing the Gospel with our children, with our families, with co-workers, friends, the community, our neighbors, we really forget the simplicity of the Gospel message that we're all sinners in need of a Savior. And that Savior is Christ. And nobody can be saved outside of His personhood and outside of His work. And I think we trip over ourselves 
always walking away from some of those conversations wondering, man, if I just said this, or if I just said that. And then when we do so, what we're doing is we're relying on that power that I spoke of earlier, our own wisdom, our own devices, our own knowledge. We always need to go back, as I highlighted before, in Paul's heart behind his behind his preaching and his evangelism is that the power is not in the messenger, but the power is in the message. We also see as we look at Lydia, I think she reminds us all of another type of person, somebody who is devout, somebody who is sincere. We know that being devout to religion and sincerity are not guarantees for salvation. Only repentance from sin and trust in Christ are all that is necessary. And that's coming from the very words of Christ himself. But again, I think sometimes we can get this message a little convoluted when we share it with others, can't we? When somebody asks, how can I be saved? And we start throwing things in there. Well, you need to do this and you need to do that. But no, we rest on the power of the gospel in telling people that simply you fall short of the glory of God. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Christ, Christ, through his sacrificial work, through his perfect life, he gave to us his righteousness. Through his sacrificial death, he takes upon our sin. And through his resurrection from the dead, he makes it all real and guaranteed that we have life in him through faith. So let's just go back to the simplicity of the gospel and be encouraged. But the power does not rest on what we say and how we say it. It just rests on the power of God and making sure that we just tell others about Christ. Not simply that Jesus loves you. Not simply that you just need to go to church. But that Christ died for you. Christ lived for you. Christ resurrected for you. And Christ ascended for you. And if you just trust in Him, He guarantees you eternal life. Let's keep moving. To the demon-possessed girl. We see in verse 16, on their way to the same place where Paul and his team were meeting these women, this place of prayer by the river, they were met by a slave girl. The slave girl had a spirit of divination. She brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. And the spirit of divination through some of the commentaries and through some of the scholars and their assessment of it, if there was this divination that actually people of that time and that area saw as something that was good, something that was a part of their religion established by the Caesar at that time. I'm not going to go into you know, Greek mythology, but it had a lot to do with that. What they saw is somebody divine or some god divine speaking through this girl telling their fortunes But we know there was nothing divine about that messenger speaking through that woman or that girl. I think the fact that this is a girl and Paul and his team are going to her showcases us that just what Christ said, let the children come to me. This is why we at Carson Valley Bible Church believe in having kids as early as they possibly can to sit in here with us and worship. To sit under preaching because the same gospel message that saves us as adults is the same gospel message that converts their hearts as children. So again, just further proving that this gospel message is for all. 
people. Not just in different locations, not just in different people types and different cultures, but people of different ages, people of different genders, women and men alike. We see that Paul was so annoyed by this girl crying out, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Now what she's saying here is true. Even Jesus said that the demons know who he was. But the difference is, is they didn't trust him in salvation. They hated him. See, that's how Satan tempts us. And if we look back in the first book of the Bible in Genesis, and we see that scene where Adam and Eve are tempted by the devil to eat of the forbidden tree, we see they're tempted with the half-truth. And Satan himself said, you won't surely die from eating this. And they didn't, right? There was just a, a figment of truth in there. So that's how Satan tempts us. He draws us in with something that's a half-truth, but as J.C. Ryle, a great theologian of the 19th century, said, a half-truth masquerading as the whole truth is a whole lie. And this is what Paul saw. And we see next that in the name of Jesus Christ, he commands the Spirit to leave. Now it says that these men were upset because their hope of gain was gone. But if you really look at the context of where they were in the world, where they were culturally, there was an established religion by Caesar himself. Again, they go back to this Greek mythology that they believed in, and this was an attack on their religion. And we see this because they're upset, because they're saying that they're trying to advocate for customs that are not lawful for them to accept or practice. They're upset, not necessarily, that their gain was gone, which they were. But I really think they were more upset because their religion was shown as wrong and futile. Christ was preached and their heart was hardened. But we see there, in the way Paul addresses this instance by commanding the Spirit to leave this girl by the name of Jesus Christ, we see the power of Christ that he is showcasing, this power that is more powerful than any Roman mythological god. And see, that was a huge fence in that day to say there was anything more powerful than the gods that they believed in. But that's exactly what Paul is just continuing in the same way that he preaches. Again, this power does not rest in my words or my wisdom, but this power of the gospel is for all people and rests in Christ and the message that he brings. Now looking at this girl who was in bondage to a demon, I think we can draw from that and just think about in all the contexts we can be basically enslaved to something just like that. Not saying that anything that we could be enslaved to, like sin or to idolatry, slave to work, slave to anything outside of Christ. Not saying those things are there because we have a demon inside of us. But in a sense, and we can look back at our own salvation, we know that we were slaves to Satan himself. We know we were slaves to sin. We couldn't stop. We saw it as sweet and good for our lives until Christ came along and his gospel was preached to us and it met our ears and we were transformed. 
We were born again. We believed this message. He opened our hearts to accept it. He placed that new heart inside of us with a new desire. And we know that through Christ there is redemption from anything that enslaves us. think we can draw from that, going back to what I said earlier about my co-worker, there is nobody we should ever look at and say they're too far from salvation. They're too far from Christ. There is no way any human being can out-sin Christ or out-sin the cross. Now, I don't know much about this girl. The text doesn't say. We don't know if she was converted. There have been some scholars who have alluded to maybe her and this jailer and Lydia were some of the three people who decided to start this church in Philippi after the gospel met it through the preaching of Paul. I don't think there's enough text in there to prove that. Sounds like a good story. I hope that's what happened, but I don't think so. And just because maybe this girl wasn't converted doesn't mean that there lacked power in the message. We know that some hearts are hardened by the gospel and some are softened. And in this instance, maybe it was hardened. So what if it was? This should never deter us from preaching the same Christ crucified, the same gospel message. So again, when we see somebody who we think is maybe too far from Christ, look at the gender revolution or the sexual revolution we're a part of. We're part of a, a culture that doesn't even know the difference between men and women. A culture that's continuously attacking the family and, ch- and children, attacking believers of Christ. They need to hear this same message. We don't have to change the message to try and meet certain people in their certain places or context. They all need to hear the same thing, that we preach Christ crucified. And all you need to do to be saved is to turn from your sin and turn to Him and trust that he paid your debt for you so that you could find life in him. And as we move on, we see in the next scene that Paul and Silas are dragged to jail. We see very quickly that not only is the gospel the power of salvation, it is also the power of sustaining The only thing that Paul and Silas can think about and pray about and sing about is the gospel. It's what comforts us. We rest in the promises of God that when He begins a good work in us that He will take it to the end and make us complete and whole when He glorifies us in death. He promises that when Jesus returns that He'll take all of our tears and wipe them away. All of our pain ceases to exist. Death is destroyed finally and fully. A place of true worship with the family of God is established. And we see the wholeness of what God promises through Christ. Brought finally and fully to all of those who trust in Him. So again, not only is this gospel a message that we need to bring to the ears of God's elect in order that they may be saved and converted to Him by the gospel, It is also what sustains us on our way there. This is why here at Carson Valley Bible Church, we have nothing else to preach every Sunday. We have nothing else to learn about during the week in our studies. There's nothing else we can talk about in our discipleship groups or in our community groups. We talk about the gospel. How the power of God, through this message of the person and work of Christ, can save 
anyone who may be alienated from God. Again, we rest on the power of the message and not the messenger. But while Paul and Silas were in the jail, singing hymns and praying together, there was an earthquake. And as the earthquake came, all the doors of the jail cells were opened. And when they were opened, we see this jailer instantly, according to what we call the the Justinian Code, was going to take his own life because he knew that the shame from letting a prisoner go was too much to handle, and that's exactly what they were to do if the prisoner was to escape. He had sword in hand, ready to plunge into himself, but Paul told him to stop. What we see with this man in this instance is he comes to terms, which we all do when we come to terms with gospel, come to terms with God and the salvation for us, when we're made aware by the Holy Spirit of our sin that not only does it affect ourselves or affect others, but most of all this sin affected God. See, He's the one that we worry about offending when it comes to sin. Sure, it's terrible to offend others, but others can't condemn us for sin, but God can. Christ Himself said, Do not fear man, but fear the one who can destroy body and soul. Or as R.C. Sproul puts it, sin is cosmic treason. I think this man fell to his knees in front of Paul and Silas, and he knew exactly where he was. He knew that the only thing that can save him was divine intervention. Perhaps the only thing he knew was the Romans' gods. Perhaps that's who he was thinking about in his mind, Zeus, save me. But what did Paul respond to him when he said, how must I be saved? And again, this man is probably thinking about his circumstances. How can I be saved temporally from this? But Paul preaches this same gospel that he continues to preach over and over and over. And he says to him, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. I think this is the key verse for us this morning. I think Luke really takes us through this book, and he's, or sorry, this chapter, and he's moving quickly. I think it's to make this point that nobody is saved outside of that message of believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we will be saved. Again, it's that simple. This man was saved not only from his temporal circumstances, but he was saved to an eternal right standing with God. And this man was so moved that just like Lydia, the only thing he can do in response is to be baptized and respond with good works. See, the gospel is not doing good things in order to tip the scales in our favor with the holy and just God. No. No, the gospel is that Christ did all of the work necessary and all we must do is repent and trust in Him in its simplicity. That's all this man knew. He didn't have time to be taken through the doctrines of grace. He didn't have time to learn about the aseity of God. He didn't have time to learn what providence was or justification was. All he knew was that all he had to do was believe in Christ and trust in Him 
and he would be saved. And it says his household as well. But we know that the salvation of others does not rely on the salvations of ourselves. It'd be salvation by proxy. There are some religions that practice that, but that is not the gospel. What Paul is getting at is, even if your household believes in the same message, it's for them too. And what Paul's talking about when he's saying household in the context of what we're reading about here in that book of Acts is when they say the household, they're not just talking about immediate family. Remember, we have a different culture and a different time than here. We would see that as family. A mom, a dad, two children, maybe grandma that's staying with them. No. When they're saying household, they're meaning their whole household, which involved servants, people who worked for them, as well as their family. But looking just at that, that idea of even the servant was able to hear the gospel, I think, showcases that it doesn't matter what stature somebody may be in a certain cultural context or where they are, how powerful they may be compared to others, the gospel is for them too. And again, we don't see this man, or we see Lydia trying to do things to be saved. You see them do good things after they're saved after their hearts are converted to Christ, after the Holy Spirit illuminates the things of God to them, after the Holy Spirit puts in them new desires to desire righteous things, to turn away from sin and to turn to Christ, we see them be baptized, to share the gospel, to be hospitable to people who, I wouldn't even understand really how others would view this, but it wouldn't be in a a good way. If they saw Jews being taken into a Roman household and accommodated, I could only imagine that probably wasn't a very good look in their time and in their culture. But we see this man so moved by the grace of God that he doesn't care. All he wants and desires is for his household to hear this same message. And we see this same message that is for all people, regardless of age, regardless of stature, regardless of where they're at. So as we conclude this message, maybe we look at these different people types and we see ourselves. Maybe we're just going through the religious motions trying to fake it till we make it. But salvation doesn't work that way. Our hearts need to be converted to Christ. We need to turn from sin and repentance and trust in Him. Or maybe, maybe we're in bondage to something bondage to sin. Maybe we're just thinking, if only I can just be a little bit better, and when I'm ready, maybe I'll come to Christ. It doesn't work that way. Jesus, in chapter 11 of the book of Matthew, says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, again, nobody can out the cross or out Christ, but all who are suffering from sin, all who are facing some sort of bondage, whether that be to mental illness, whether that be to sin, whether that be to idolatry, Christ can redeem us from every single one of those things and break every single chain. And we look at people like the jailer. Maybe we know People who are indifferent. People who don't really care to hear about the gospel of Christ. 
And maybe we see those people. We say, well, if they don't want to hear the message, then I won't provide it. If they don't want to hear it, why should I? But we know that it doesn't matter. The gospel message must and needs to go to all ears of all people because this is how God saves. Through the foolishness of our speaking, through the foolishness of what we call wisdom, comes the power of his message through what we share with others when we tell them about Christ and what he did for us. See, I'm not a full-time pastor. Some of you might know that. I work a day job just like most of you. And it's tough when you work at a workplace where people don't know Christ and you long for them to do. I understand because I used to always hear this too, right? You hear it on the news, you hear it in the newspaper, you see it everywhere. We need more separation of church and state. We need to take God out of the Pledge of Allegiance. We need to take God out of schools. Uh, My comment is not really on those things. But I think we inside the church, we get accustomed to that. The way the culture puts it, we accept it and go, okay, we'll just do our thing right where we're at. We'll keep the gospel here. We'll let you do your thing, and that's fine. But if we really assess the book of Acts and we see how Paul is going every single place he could possibly go to to share this gospel message, there is no realm that is off limits to hear the good news of Christ. And that should encourage us. We don't need to worry about what might happen to us if we share the gospel with others. See, this is the Great Commission. Christ didn't say, go to all nations and disciple some people or some nations, baptize maybe a few people. No, he said all nations. All human beings must hear this message. We don't have to rely, again, on the power of our own words to try and convert people. We don't have to know about all the cultural context somebody might be coming from in order to speak to them. Even people who are involved in other religions, we don't need to know everything about what they believe in order to talk to them and share the good news with them. But we're told to just disciple, to share the good news that Paul preaches, and that's Christ crucified. And church, there is no other message. There's no more powerful message So as we walk away from here this morning, we ought to be encouraged that our duty is to go and share the gospel. But again, there is no boundary set on where that gospel can't go. No boundary set on human beings, on who it can't save. And really, we should be drawn in awe to this God who chooses simple people like us to share his good news that if we would just repent of sin and trust in Christ, we'd be saved. The church's gospel is for all people. and Honestly, this gospel is all the message. This is all we have. And the only thing we can do is respond with just contentment in that. Knowing that God has this. Knowing that as Christ's words himself in the book of Revelation, he says that, the gates of hell will not prevail against his church, and he will continue to build it through people like us. So, Christian, be encouraged. Or maybe you're on the fence. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you're just here investigating, seeing who this God is and what this gospel has in store. What the gospel message has in store for you in eternity with God himself. 
See, Jesus Christ is not the means to an end, but he is the means and the end. You don't come to him just to add to your life, to have purpose, to have meaning. And when you come to Christ in repentance and faith, he is the meaning and the purpose for your life. And your duty is to glorify him and just respond and just gratefulness and praise. That's why we come here every Sunday to worship. Not to gain God's favor, but just to give him praise and adoration. And the only thing that we can give to him that is a grateful heart for who he is and for what he's done, saving people like us. So let's be encouraged. Let's be insured. Let us just walk away loving Christ more and knowing him better. Just pray with me. Father God, we thank you so much for the gospel message and the power that it has. Thank you that there's just no need for us to rely on our own wisdom, our own words, or how well we study, how well we know the Bible, how well we know the culture outside these doors. We know Christ. And all we need to do is share with others who he is and what he did in order that a sinner might be saved. That a heart might be restored. And that a human being might have eternal life in him. So God, we just thank you for your good news. We thank you for its simplicity. We thank you for the rest that we can find in Christ. That we shouldn't have anxiety when it comes to sharing your good news with others. This should embolden us. This should strengthen us. This should encourage us to just do what you told us to, to make disciples and to baptize. So God, I don't have to ask you to continue to build your church. We know by your word that you will. We already know the end in place, so until then, until Christ comes again and restores his church in all of its fullness, may we just be obedient to sharing this simple gospel message, the one that is for all people of all nations, all tribes, all cultures, and all time. And may we just rest in the power of that message and not in the messenger. God, would you just cause our hearts to walk away, knowing you better and loving you more. And may you just be glorified in our worship this morning, bringing you the only thing that we can, and that is just praise, thanksgiving, and adoration and grateful hearts. So God, would you just bless our day as we walk out from these doors and strengthen us for the week to come. We love you. We desperately need you. And in Christ's mighty name we pray. Amen.